So welcome to Hope Online. Today is the third in our short series, Jesus's New Normal, where we've been looking at the last two chapters of John's Gospel, chapters 20 and 21, and we've been seeing people encounter the risen Lord Jesus. Here we find that we have eyewitness accounts of Jesus meeting people after his resurrection. These same people had faithfully followed him for three years previously. They'd seen him work incredible miracles. They'd seen uh, people encounter him and their lives being radically changed. They were convinced that he was the Messiah and that he was the one that the Old Testament prophets had promised would come who would deliver his people and deliver the nation. And then before their very eyes, Jesus was crucified. It all seemed to be over. They were in shock. They were in anguish. And after being buried in a tomb for three days, Jesus is suddenly, miraculously raised from the dead. Nothing would ever be the same as Jesus begins to transform his followers' lives and he institutes a whole new normal. Today we're going to see how he meets Thomas, encounters him and changes his life. And today it's going to help us be established in our faith as we follow Jesus. First of all, I'm going to read from John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31 from the Christian Standard Bible. And this is what it says. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put, the, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We know little of Thomas before this incident. His name uh, actually means twin. That's, uh, we get it from the, the, the name Didymus. He is one of Jesus' earliest followers and was one of the twelve, we're told. This is no accident. Jesus has specifically chosen him uh, after much prayer. Today, we uh, know him as Doubting Thomas. And from what we've just read, that seems, at first glance, to, to be a fair call. 
Thomas refuses to believe the news of the miraculous resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Thomas wants objective proof. There are two other occasions where we come across Thomas in the Gospels before this incident. The first, in John chapter 11, verse 16, Jesus and his disciples are traveling to Bethany. They're going to the home of Mary, Martha, and their brother called Lazarus. Jesus has been told that Lazarus is very ill, and the sisters have sent for him, saying, Come quickly, our brother needs you. Jesus, though, dawdles. He knows that Lazarus is going to die, but he also knows that he's going to raise him from the dead. As they're traveling, Jesus tells his disciples that, in fact, Lazarus has now died. Thomas' response to the news is this, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas is clearly prepared to go and die with Jesus. A bit later, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going away in chapter 13. His disciples are bemused. What's that all about? Jesus is letting them know that he's going back to his Father in heaven and that he is going to prepare a place for them. He tells them that they know the way to the place that he's going. At hearing this, Thomas says this in chapter 14, verse 5. Lord, we don't know where, we, where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then you'll remember Jesus makes this de great declaration that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The theologian D.A. Carson says of Thomas that he was less a doubter, but rather a loyal but pessimistic and perhaps obtuse disciple. In our terms today, he's a glass-half-empty sort of person. What about us? I think on occasions we're a little like Thomas. We're people who can see every cloud in the sky and yet we can miss the, the, the blue sky and the sun shining. We're those who can moan about all that we don't have rather than focusing on all the good things that we do have. You know, I can be like this. And the truth is, I know many of you really well, and I know that you can be just like me in this. I also want to suggest that Thomas is a little like the church in Western society. We overly focus on objective truth. We're very rationalistic. We want to know the facts. We want to know the truth. As a result, we so easily slip into cynicism and unbelief, rejecting things that we can't understand with our human logic. And as we look into this story together, there are four simple things that I want to draw out that are going to be helpful for us as individuals, but are also going to be helpful for us as a church in these days. 
And I want us to reflect on these things as we unpack them together. And the first thing is this, is that Thomas missed out. Now, in 1986, I went to a Bible week called Spring Harvest in Minehead. Uh, it was an event that was around uh, Easter time. And uh, uh, we were going as uh, uh, a church that I belonged to at the time. And the youth group in the church were all going. There were a number of us going, 20 or 30 of us. But uh, we weren't really going for the meetings. We were just going for fun. In truth, I'd lost my way in terms of my personal faith. I was struggling in terms of my relationship with God. And whilst we were there at this week, I had two interviews in London, overnight interviews that I needed to go to. So I was away for two days. The interviews didn't go well. And when I came back, what was worse, everybody else seemed to have had an encounter with God. Everything had changed in the days that I was away. I had missed out. They were excited and I was cynical. They dragged me to an evening meeting where I sat being a bit grumpy at the back. And then it happened. As the person preached, it felt as if I was the only person in the room and he was speaking to me. And in that moment, I encountered the living God. Jesus met me and everything changed and my life turned around forever. You see, Thomas wasn't with them the first time Jesus appeared to his disciples. Tim uh, talked about that last week. And there's been lots of speculation speculation as to why Thomas wasn't there. Some believe that Thomas was grief-stricken uh, because he'd run away uh, when Jesus was arrested and subsequently crucified. He felt that he'd abandoned Jesus. Others believe that Thomas was fearful. Whatever was going on, and we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us, what we do know is this, that there was no hint of criticism from Jesus when he encounters Thomas, and there was no hint of criticism from the other disciples that Thomas wasn't with them when they'd met him. I want us to realize this. If Thomas had been there when the disciples met Jesus, he would have believed too. Over the previous three years, Jesus has been teaching Thomas. He's been teaching his disciples. He's been showing them what a God-centered community should look like. It was core to everything he taught. And in the process, these 12 men and the followers around them had become a band of brothers. And here now, as uh, Jesus has been resurrected, they didn't feel uh, uh, safe for, it, for them to be all together. There may well have been around 120 of them. They didn't feel that they could meet publicly, but they did feel that it was safe to meet in smaller gatherings. And so that's where Jesus first meets his disciples, although Thomas isn't there. 
Over this last season, we haven't been able to gather all together. But we have been able to meet in smaller groups. Maybe we're a little like Thomas and we didn't take advantage of the opportunity that we had. And maybe we're feeling that we've missed out. A telltale sign that we feel like this is that we feel cynical and skeptical when others are being positive about encountering Jesus over this season when we feel that we haven't. Maybe we've become a little Thomas-like. You see, all the disciples are joyfully telling him, we've seen the Lord. They are eyewitnesses. There is at least 10 eyewitnesses there of Jesus' resurrection, at least. There is no such thing as mass hallucinations of, of people in one moment uh, all hallucinating separately but seeing the same thing. Something significant happened. Their demeanor had changed overnight and Thomas could see it. And yet Thomas refuses to believe them when weeks earlier he had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. This was exactly what Jesus had warned his disciples about in John chapter 4 verse 48 where he said, unless you see miraculous signs, you will never believe. Thomas, Thomas's unbelief is laid bare. Unless I put my finger in the wounds, I will never believe. What about us? I know there, there are a number of people struggling with cynicism and doubts at the moment. Are you struggling with doubts about Jesus' resurrection? Are you struggling with the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and now lives forever? Maybe you're struggling with the thought of a God who works miracles when everything around us seems to be going the other way. Maybe you're struggling with the thought that God could be in control in, in the aftermath of what has been the most tumultuous 18 months. Cynicism and unbelief are robbers and thieves in the life of the church. But there's one thing that we can commend Thomas for, even though he missed out. Is that, that and this is it, it's that despite his inner battles, Thomas is back among his uh, fellow disciples a week later. Do you know, it can't have been easy. It can't have been easy to gather back with the disciples with them saying that Jesus is alive and, and he just doesn't believe. I want to tell you, faith is a daily battle against the unbelief that pervades our society. Faith can be difficult. We read of an encounter that Jesus has with a man who says, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. All too often, that's how we feel. Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. And if we're struggling with unbelief, I want to encourage you, well done for being here at this moment. 
Well done for being here listening to what God has to say to you. You see, if we're struggling, the best place to be is back amongst the people of faith. Thomas missed out. But the second thing is that Jesus' disciples were locked in. You see, a a week after their first encounter with Jesus, they're still behind locked doors. Tim talked last week uh, about how Jesus had appeared in their midst and uh, his miraculous encounter, and they were overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus was alive. And yet a week later, we still find them behind locked doors. Bizarrely, it seems the only one who'd been outside was Thomas. The disciples were still fearful of the authorities. Despite their joy, fear is still gripping their hearts. What about us? We're starting to come out of lockdown. But maybe our hearts, as Tim talked about last week, are still gripped with fear. John is reminding us that the resurrected Jesus can, just as he passed through grave clothes and passed out of the tomb, just as he passed into a room and came into a room where the doors were locked, Jesus can come and meet with us right where we are right now. You see, all too often we think Jesus can meet with us only at certain times and in certain places. It isn't true. He can meet with us at any time. He can meet with us anywhere. He can meet with us outside or inside. He can meet with us at home, at work, at the school gate, or in the community. He can meet with us in university. He can meet with us when we're on the train or when we're in the car. Jesus has now poured out his Holy Spirit that we can know his presence. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says, It's better that I go to heaven uh, uh, for you than if I stay. We're astounded when we hear Jesus say that. How can that be better? Surely it's better that Jesus is physically with us. Well, Jesus could only be in one place at one time. And so when he encounters the disciples in the room that day, Jesus was only in one place at one time. And he said, what he was saying is, better that I go and I go back to the Father and I ascend to the Father. Because when I do, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in you and will be with each one of you wherever you are. Jesus is no longer tied to being in one place at one time. And right now, wherever you are, he can meet with you and he wants to encounter you. Are we locked in? Maybe we're locked into a way of thinking about the way the church should be, the way church should happen. You see, over this last season, God's been reminding us that we can not only meet with him in larger gatherings, but we can meet with him in smaller gatherings, in twos and threes. He says, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. We can meet with Jesus as we read the Word of God, as we read the Word of God and we unpack it and as we listen to maybe God's Word being preached, maybe online or Uh, live or whether we're listening to podcasts, 
Jesus can speak to us today and meet with us. As the disciples were learning, Jesus can be encountered through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We heard last week Tim talk about how Jesus breathed the Spirit onto them, into them. And there was a, a day coming a, a few short weeks later where Jesus encountered these same people and filled them with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And it was a promise for them, for people around them, but for us as well. God wants to fill us with His Spirit that we know the presence of God. Jesus doesn't want us to be locked in. He wants us to be free to live for Him in these days. You see... Across churches, there is a drift away through, from the things of the Spirit. We're fearful of uh, excess, of uh, things getting out of hand, out of control. And I think churches are in danger of becoming locked in. We rationalize in our heads that people will be put off from meeting the risen Christ if gifts of the Spirit are being exercised as we meet together. That's just fear. We are a people of word and spirit. Jesus wants to break in where we are locked in, restricted by walls of our fears. This is what Paul said to the Galatian believers who are slipping away from things of the Spirit. He says this in chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? God doesn't want us to be locked in. He doesn't want us to be locked in in terms of uh, uh, restricting and pushing out things of the Spirit. God wants us to be a people open to his spirit, people filled with his spirit. You know, Jesus is so kind when we're locked in because he comes to find us out. Thomas was found out. You see, Jesus heard what Thomas had said, even though Jesus wasn't there when he said it. He hears every word that we speak and he knows every thought that we thought he knows every fear that holds us locked up. He understands the roots of our unbelief. Jesus never writes us off. He never writes you off. What patience and compassion Jesus shows. What amazing grace he shows to his church that so easily drifts away from what he has called us to. You know, Jesus came just for Thomas. He will come just for us. He's the good shepherd who comes for the one. J.C. Ryle, the 19th century preacher, says this, Our Lord has many weak children in his family, many dull pupils in his school, many raw soldiers in his army, many lame sheep in his flock. He bears with them all and casts none away. How comforting that is. We are weak children so often. We are dull pupils in his school. We're raw soldiers in his army. And sometimes 
We are lame sheep in his flock and maybe you're feeling like that today. Yet he bears with us all and casts none away. And just as Jesus is like that with us, we need to be like that with others. We need to show the same kindness with those who are struggling with unbelief. You see, Jesus knows what we're struggling with and he comes to challenge us. He says, go on then, Thomas, put your finger there. Go on, Thomas. He tests us at a point of unbelief. Maybe that's for us. God won't provide for me. I know of people who've been needing a job. They've applied for hundreds and hundreds of jobs, filled out hundreds of applications and not had a response from one of the applications that they put in. And they have thought, has God heard my prayers? Is God with me? And then God breaks through and God provides just the right job at just the right time. I know others who feel God hasn't healed me. I'm, I, I need a breakthrough physically. You know, God doesn't always do things the way we expect. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, his ways are beyond tracing out. I've seen God heal in answer to prayer, and I've seen people taken home after a long illness. I was with Gina, who many of you will know, long-standing member of the church, much loved by all of us, who uh, was in hospital and passed away uh, yesterday. And I was with her and we were talking and able to talk together and pray with her. I know others uh, from amongst us had done the same. But she was certain of one thing, that she would go to be with Jesus forever. And she is now with him, enjoying the fulfillment of her faith. That is not God not showing up. She has received the ultimate healing. She's gone to a place where there's no more sickness and no more pain. She is with Jesus forever. Believing God, you see, is a choice. And Jesus challenges, don't be faithless, but believe. Believing God is a choice, not a feeling. We make the choice on the basis of what we know about God from what we read and what we know to be true from what we've experienced in our own lives. You see, I choose to believe God when I'm overwhelmed with doubts because he's never let me down. Will we trust God with our lives, our families, our jobs, our past, our hopes, our dreams for the future? Will we trust him with his church? Thomas was found out, but after an encounter with Jesus, he is all in. You see, an encounter with Jesus changes everything. There's no more doubting. One uh, writer puts it like this. Pessimistic unbelief is transformed into joyful faith. Thomas's response is both personal and profound. My Lord and my God. That is the response of genuine faith. Thomas knew Jesus was a man. He'd been with him for three years. He'd seen him tired and weary and hungry. He'd seen him die on a Roman cross. And now in this moment, as he sees the resurrected Jesus, he declares that he is God. Not only is he God, he is my God. Jesus is both God and man. 
He knows all our failings, our sin before a holy God. He's dealt with our sin once and for all on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, pleads our case in the courts of heaven. Our sins are forgiven. God's righteous anger is dealt with. We have lasting hope in God in this world. Can we say like Thomas, my Lord and my God, Thomas is all in. That is what real faith looks like. What about us? Is he your God? Is he also your Lord? The two go together. They're inextricably linked. He can't be one without the other. If, our, if he's our Lord, we will do what he tells us to do. We'll do it over baptism. He tells us to believe and be baptized. Have you been baptized? He tells us what to do with our possessions, how we are to live in this world, how we're to treat people, how we're to speak, how we're to think, what our attitude is to church, his people, God's people. It's not a building, it's his people. We're to be those who love gathering together. What about us? Jesus' response to Thomas's great declaration is for our benefit. You have seen and believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet still believe. We may not see what they saw with their eyes, but we believe what they've told us. We believe what we read in the Scriptures. This is no myth. It is no fairy tale. Thomas died for believing that Jesus was his God and his Lord. Millions of people have made the same declaration of faith. What about us? This declaration of faith is a daily declaration. It's something we do every day. You are my Lord and my God. When we get up in the morning and when we go to bed at night. We can do it today, right now. We can do it for the nth time where N is a large number. Or we can do it for the first time. You can give your life to Jesus Christ today by putting your trust in him and saying, Father, forgive me. I put my trust in Jesus and all that he did on the cross for me. You can say today, you are my Lord and my God. I've not done very well of this last season, but I'm putting my trust in you again today. We may feel that we've missed out. We may feel that we're locked in in uh, fear and walls of fear around us. But I want you to know that Jesus wants to come to you and he wants to set you free. He wants you to be all in. As Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a wonderful truth that is. Receive the salvation of of your soul through Jesus Christ. God bless you.